2: Wow, Whoa. I thought a, that was, Did you just light off a bottle rocket? <laughs> that's a mustard
3: on it. Oh, yeah. What was that? A tasty, tasty bottle rocket. <laughs> <clears throat> that is a Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest.
2: Hey, we went to that place, right? Yes, we did.
3: Mm-hmm. Quite yeah. enjoyable. Fun times.
2: Oh, cool. oh, yeah. And then our storyteller this week is Mr. Will the Thrill. Greetings and
4: salutations
2: oh that was nice that was a
3: good one yeah that really that one. sounded like you that sounded like you were like whipping a horse coming down the stretch at <laughs> churchill downs the hell
4: <laughs> it, had, it had a nice <laughs> nice <to> it. yeah <laughs>
3: um
2: okay business uh we want to thank everybody who took part in our what, what my brother lovingly refers to as our slap nuts episode
4: <laughs> two hours of just us just just talking. just just
3: yeah. absolute the slap nuts good time hour. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So it was uh, you, fun. You alleged that we actually got you got like a lot of like positive feedback. Well
2: yeah. Yeah, we no actually no one got... was more surprised than me. Yeah, I was shocked. I was like, oh, people like us. Holy cow.
3: What? Um so a couple of things related to that real real quick. I I made a mistake when talking about my what I thought were the three greatest videos ever and discussing hot for teacher. I first of all I butchered the kid's name who portrayed Mike Anthony and also played. Grover Dill in the Christmas story. It's Yano Anaya, not whatever the hell I called him. <laughs> and I said that I said that on the uh on the set he was drunk because he was playing a drinking game with Mike Anthony. It was Alex Van Halen, not Mike Anthony. I remember. it was a- Alex Van Halen who handed him a Schlitz malt liquor tall boy and challenged him to a drinking contest. Yano was 13.
4: <laughs> and he promptly lost. <laughs> <laughs> and
3: he lost to Alex Van Halen. Yes. Um then, LD, you called Brilliant Disguise, Beautiful Disguise. And I was so fried, I didn't even catch it until I listened to the episode later. The what Bruce Springsteen talk- song.
4: Bruce Springsteen.
2: Oh, oh yeah. okay.
3: No, um, I think. And then, um, related to um, Guilty Pleasures, I was in the drugstore yesterday and nobody could see me mouthing it because I was wearing a mask or hear me singing under my breath. But I think i I unwittingly found one when I found myself singing,
4: Sarah, Sarah.
2: Wow.
3: Walking through the, walking
2: through the CBS. Okay. Well, we, uh, on, the, on the topic of TikTok uh, music and stuff like that, we, <laughs> we went to Ralph's <laughs> yesterday. Awesome. And I heard the best overhead announcement I've ever heard in my life. Which like the guy comes on and, you know, you know, you, you know, basically, you know what TikTok is, right T? Right. Okay. So it's like, you know, people dance to, uh, songs and they do it in, you know, places and they think, Oh, it's funny. So we're in Ralph's and the guy comes on over the, the, the speaker and he goes, uh, attention Ralph shoppers. Please do not take up the entire aisle doing a TikTok dance. <laughs> it is inconsiderate. <laughs>
4: That's right here. It is inconsiderate. Thank you.
2: <laughs> you just my, my favorite, voice.
3: My favorite overhead announcement ever was at the Chester Walmart um, when I was probably six, uh, 16, 17, 18. I was in high school. And like the microphone got cut on, and I don't think the person knew that they'd cut it on. <laughs> And you heard rustling and you heard just noises and somebody giggling, and the girl going, Danny, I can't do this upside down.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and uh, everybody in the store kind of stopped and looked like, what? <laughs>
4: Live. Was like, it's,
3: Walmart. <laughs> Walmart. <laughs> it's,
4: it's it's Walmart after dark.
3: That's no, it's just Walmart. <laughs> it's just Walmart,
4: It's yeah. just
3: Walmart. Just, just Walmart. Just Walmart, the day. Just
4: dark. Walmart in the morning. Winter,
3: winter solstice. It doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> Walmart in the evening. Walmart in the morning. Walmart in the evening. Walmart at supper. Time. Oh,
3: <laughs> All <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, now that we've got all of that out of the way, um, <laughs> <Did we? laughs> who are we going to be talking about today, Mr. Oh, Will the Thrill? That
4: is a good question. It is someone I've wanted to cover for quite some time that I am a huge fan of, and a lot of our listeners have actually chimed in saying they're really looking forward to this. So, so the pressure's on. It yeah, so don't, don't move it up. Um, that is going to be Jim Croce, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, starting.
3: And, you know, I thought about something. Um, This is going to be a totally different series than any we've done this year because Hmm. if you think about it this way, we started with Eddie Van Halen. He died in 2020. Mm -hmm. Then we went to Adam Yow. I believe he died in 2012. Yes, he did. Then David Bowie died in 2016. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, Then Rick James died in 2004. Dusty Springfield died in 1999. Whitney Houston died. 2000, I don't remember, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. Uh, some, yeah. I,
4: didn't, I think it was, yeah, Tom, think it was 2011. 12,
3: 2011 maybe. Okay. And then Tom Petty died in 2017. All of those people died in the media age in the social media age.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And and all fairly recent, Dusty, the, the furthest back, you know, 22 years, Rick James, 17, but the rest of them within the last 10 years, we're reaching back prior to any of us being alive for this series.
4: Ah. <sighs> Absolutely, and that's one of the first things I wanted to bring up about this is we are covering an artist with whom we have shared zero years on the planet with mm-hmm.
3: zero. So he he so he lived in a t- totally different era, died in a different era than everybody else we covered, and none of us have memories of him other than other than his hearing his music, obviously correct, uh, and things of that nature, but none of us were able to see him in concert the way we were some of the others. And we didn't, you know, see him doing television appearances and we didn't see him doing this stuff because I mean, he was, he was gone before any of us was born. So this, in that sense, this is going to be a totally different series.
4: Which actually led to a, uh, an embarrassing listener story. remember our friend who told us that he went to Croce's restaurant. Yes. Uh, yeah. This guy was telling us that he really looking forward to this big fan of gems. And he said, he, went to Croce's in San Diego, which is unfortunately no longer open. Mm. And uh, he went in and, you know, he'd wanted to go there. Big fan of Jim's, love the music and goes in. And there's a woman at the front kind of showing people around. He goes up to her and says, oh, you know, I've waited to come here so long. I'm a huge fan of Jim. She's like, oh, that's great. So many people come here to celebrate his music and his life. And he says, yes, is Jim playing tonight? And the woman looks at him and says, Jim died in 1973. Oh, and by the way, I'm Ingrid. I'm his widow. Whoops.
1: Oh.
3: Whoops. Ooh. Yeah.
2: That was so cringy that even the cat went,
3: <laughs> Yeah, we got an animal ran Yeah. Oh, my Lord. there yeah. was, was the person saying that to be funny? I think he honestly didn't know. So... Well, that's... I, yeah. That, that's like, uh, you know, there was a story, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but just to cut to the quick on it, that there was some Nashville record executive who wanted to... Uh, it, it, i can't remember what it, it was one of those weird contract things where they couldn't get the rights to the song but if they just re-recorded it and it could make it sound exactly the same mm-hmm. then they could do it that way and it, it involved patsy klein and this oh is like in 2000 and and said executive supposed to say, well could we uh, just get her to re-record it you know it's allowed in contract <laughs> that'd be uh that'd be a, a, a smooth move she hadn't been dead for 35 years <laughs>
4: yeah whoops you moron <laughs> yeah so I, I think it honestly came from a place where he didn't know and felt extremely stupid in the presence of oh, wow. his, his widow. Uh, and it was his so, widow. Oh, yeah. Geez. So it's just the icing on the cake there. Oof. It's it's also a time in, in addition to the the separation generationally that I think Jim is the first Philadelphian that we've covered. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you know um, first one I can think of? Yeah.
2: Do you know how many of these I've done?
4: I mean, can you think of anyone else from Philly?
2: The boys to men they're still alive
4: (laughs) they're not they're in the
3: podcast the east coast family
4: but uh he is i think the first philadelphian we've covered Yeah, i I can't i can't think of another one and and let me tell you guys that being a new york sports fan i think you know where this is going i believe that only two great things have ever come out of philadelphia and they are cheesesteaks because everyone loves a cheesesteak and jim croce that's that's really the list Um, right there
2: no Hmm? cream cheese
4: yeah okay cream cheese i'll give it that one but uh, it's interesting that philly likes to the bell well philadelphia likes to lay cra- lay claim to the rocky film but stallone was born in new york so so suck it philly but decision Yeah, i think is yeah. what, what will say <laughs> yeah
3: isn't there, exactly in
2: there a bell there
4: there is the liberty bell yes but yeah, uh, so well long story short as a new york sports fan <laughs> i uh i don't have much to celebrate with philadelphia but this is one i'm gonna i'm gonna really enjoy And like we said died in 1973 before any of us were even on the planet which made telling the story really interesting so tj what you had said was was fascinating how you use a tarantino method of the tom petty episode kind of move things chronologically right i am going to remain for the facts in historical order i'm not going to change that but i am going to present the music out of time okay So I'm doing this for two reasons. One is sort of the style and narrative that I've created with this piece as your presenter, the word that everyone seems to like me using. And the other is the fact that Jim only released five albums, four of which when he was alive, meaning the last one came out after his death. So most of the music that we know of Jim Croce was created in the last few years of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And in that way, I think the portrayal of the music is going to be quite appropriate because you pointed out, TJ, he's been gone for a long time, but it's still relevant. His music is used today in TV, movies. Uh, I think LD, you and I had this conversation, perhaps one of the finest scenes ever filmed.
2: Yeah, it's going to be lost on my brother.
4: Yeah, but it is spectacular. And that is, of course, X-Men Days of Future Past.
2: Yes. Yep. I'm in a bottle that. That was so nice. They did it oh, twice. It, it's
4: priceless.
3: Absolutely <laughs> priceless. Those of you who have seen the film know, know what we're talking about. I prefer Joe versus the Volcano.
4: <laughs> and as you'll see, the tree that sort of grows out of the Croce lineage is really boundless. And I realized how many artists I like not only met and worked with Jim, but were inspired by him throughout the years. So... Uh, this is going to be quite a journey and it's also one that's very humbling because you do reach a point in your life when you realize your heroes are mortal and this is as ld likes to put it a warts and all presentation so there's a lot of stuff in his life that's not
2: uh, glamorous right? actually it's missing a wart because will passed it by me and i'm like i don't want to hear it and i don't know if our listeners want to hear it yeah i will just preface this by saying i ask him to please remove the story of an animal's passing
4: there is yeah so that is taken out
2: you guys if you want to go look that up go ahead but i didn't want to hear it twice and i don't think anybody want to hear it at all that's fair so. yeah
3: it yeah because they did do a behind the music on jim mm-hmm. and they um now they didn't get into anything like that but they didn't paint him as a saint i'll put it that way
4: he he wasn't and i think that's part of what you realize when you do these episodes is these people are flawed there's a lot of issues deep issues and the reason i feel comfortable telling it is that a lot of it is expressed in the book authored by his widow ingrid so if she felt it appropriate to put out into the public conscious i feel okay sharing it sure um but yeah you reach a point where you realize these people are mortal and they do make mistakes and It's part of, I think, what makes the story all the more compelling. But I think this is the time to throw on a big old warning for the entire series. And we're going to do it for each episode because this series contains things that are not appropriate for little ears. We are throwing out a warning for language. We are throwing out a warning for content. We are throwing out a warning for substance abuse, essay, that's the appropriate abbreviation, correct? Yes,
2: good job, there.
4: And the material that LD loves to refer to as Baudi.
2: <laughs>
4: Uh, There's going to be some um, salacious tunes that I'm going to share with you, uh, which are kind of part of the fun of it. And, and I uh, and I think there's some boot knocking. There's there's a lot of stuff that's going to go on. Uh, uh-huh. and, and really, when I researched this, and, and LD pointed this out, that it took a little longer than planned because I just it just kept unfolding. It was just the endless parade of material and interviews and books, and I just kept going back and saying, oh, I gotta include this, I gotta include that, I can't include it all, folks. But, but I, I am gonna promise you one heck of a ride here, so strap in, because it's gonna go a little bit of everywhere. So to your point, TJ, about the behind the music, you're right, they touched on some of the darker aspects, but I'm gonna tell you that the Croce story, I think, is largely known, at least the, the main points of it. You know, he grew up, started playing music, Um, got screwed over by a record company. Again, nothing new that we haven't talked about before. Uh, His time in New York and his failure there is well documented. He finally made it big and was ultimately killed in a plane crash in 1973. I think everybody really knows that part. So I'm really hoping to, to go in a little deeper and find a lot more here. Then again, it's it's going to be all over and the journey was far beyond anything I expected.
2: I'm going to tell you, if you just tell me his middle name, you've already given me more than I <laughs> ever actually knew oh, about oh, Jim
4: Croce. So, yeah. so this is going to be a fun so one.
2: This is all new to me because I knew, I knew two things about Jim Croce. Well, no, three. I know he died in a plane crash. He had a mustache mm-hmm. and he did music. There you yeah. go.
4: But you also know how much I enjoy his music.
2: And, and listen to it.
4: He does have one impressive mustache. is that is a,
3: that is a, that is an absolutely, I mean, pristine stash
4: Not not opinion. That is fact. Chef's kiss. <laughs> so I'm going to quote the late Jim Croce by saying, "If you dig it, do it, and if you dig it a lot, do it twice." Well, we dig it a whole lot because we're going to do this five times five whole episodes on the legendary Jim Croce. Now, I want you to remember as we tell this story that there's a few things people get wrong. One is that he's just an ordinary guy. He certainly played it off that way, but I'm going to tell you Jim was far from ordinary, and we're going to talk about that. The other is that it's sort of like the Princess Bride. There's everything. There's fighting. There's action. There's laughter. There's tears. There's ups. There's downs. But what I'm going to tell you sword folks fights?
2: are there sword fights
4: there's violence but no sword fights yeah. I think we were yeah so again not for the kiddies. you may want to put them to bed for this one but remember like the princess bride this story I'm about to tell you is above all a love story Boo. okay and it is the story of James Joseph Croce I so learned you know. something today born January 10th 1943 Jim was born into a traditional Italian Catholic household in the largely Italian neighborhood of South Philadelphia. Born and raised. raised. We're going to get that a couple times in this episode, I have a feeling. Jim was actually second generation American of Italian descent. His parents, James Albert Croce, so James Sr., and Flora May Croce, came from Italy at the start of the 20th century. Now, if anyone recalls back to our Rat Pack series, we covered the great Frank Sinatra, and his path from, or his his shall I say, lineage from Italy to the U.S., which was part of that large migration, the end of the nineteenth, early twentieth century, where a lot of immigrants from Italy settled in New York, New Jersey, and Philadelphia, and. James Albert's parents were no exception. His parents, Pascal, Anthony, and Carmela Croci, actually came from the Trasacco province of Abruzzo region of Italy, which, just so you know, LD, is about 73 miles east of Rome.
3: Which I, I believe, harkening back to that uh, Rat Pack series, is where Dean Martin's family came from.
4: Correct. I was actually about to bring that up. It's from, the, yep. I believe, the Abruzzo region. Yeah. Uh, James Sr. was actually the eldest of 10 children. God. Uh, eldest of 10. And he was born in my home state, New Jersey. He was born in Cape May. Jim Croce's mother, Flora, who they often called the flower, obviously being appropriate, was the daughter of, I love this name, this may be my favorite name in the entire series, Massimo Babusai.
2: Nice. Yeah,
4: Massimo and Bernice Babusai, who actually came from the Italian region of the same name, Babusai. The Crochis actually settled in the Drexel Hill area, which is just a few miles from the center of Philadelphia. As we mentioned, Jim was in a traditional Italian Catholic household. There were things that were there that are common in all Italian households, friends, music, and a lot of food. There were grand meals, and the music was everything. So the Crochis had a lot of vinyl records, and Jim grew up listening to Italian songs, folk music, country, blues, just really anything he could get his hands on. Some of there, the art-
3: there, are, there are a few things to match the magic of an Italian feast made by like old Italian ladies.
4: Oh, there's nothing that beats it. No, the smell.
3: No, like, no, like, there's all, like yeah. almost nothing, I've, nothing ever.
4: It's phenomenal. And, and his mother was quite a cook. And actually, Jim and Ingrid were both quite notable cooks. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, some of the artists in that collection were Fats Waller, Bessie Smith, Enrico Caruso, and even some blues artists like Mississippi John Hurt. Now, as Jim grew up, he sort of steered into the folk vein even more, and his influences were Woody Guthrie and, obviously, Bob Dylan, because Bob Dylan. Now, we talked earlier about how meteoric Jim's career and life were, and he would only experience, if you think about it, just a small sliver of Bob Dylan's work. I mean, think about it. That's, you know, 1960 to 1973. That's a fraction of, I mean, his countless albums that he's put out. Um, one of the songs that Jim may have listened to was actually Please, Mrs. Henry. Anyone know that one? Mm. It was recorded by Bob Dylan. It was actually covered in the early 70s by a quartet that featured Mick Rogers, Cliff Slade, Colin Pattenton, and the man for which the band was named. That's right. That song was covered by none other than Manfred Mann's Earthman.
3: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our federally mandated Manfred Mann Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfying.
4: Oh my! Wow, you
2: actually got like a super radio voice.
3: Right no, there. all right. You should, you should do radio. It's the quietest.
2: <laughs> <don't.
4: sighs> so music, food, lots of good stuff, and like you said, Italian cooking that cannot be matched. Flora, which was Jim's mother, actually had quite a beautiful voice, and they thought she may have had formal training, but in that household, and this is sort of the traditional approach. Her job was to take care of the home. She cooked the meals, she cleaned, she tended the children. Every once in a while, she would come out and sing beautifully and then kind of just go back to what she was doing in her day-to-day life. Now, her father, Massimo, again, my favorite name ever, Massimo Babusai, tell me that's not awesome. Stupid name. He actually moved in with the Crochis after his wife passed away. And he was actually known for reenacting Italian operas in the living room. He would put on the vitrola and just start going. He would sing and he would dance, and he would do all this stuff, and eventually time, you know, took its toll and gave him the bill, and he actually started suffering memory loss. Mm. Uh, In the later years, he was fondly remembered as actually nodding off in the chair, but when something like Enrico Caruso would play, he would suddenly burst out of the chair and sing and (laughs) kind of go back to what he was doing, and it was sad because his memory faded and faded. Eventually, he actually forgot Jim's name to the point where Jim would walk by and, you know, give his grandpa a little touch and he would look up at him. He'd touch Jim's hand. He would just look at him and say, the boy, and smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a few years after Jim was born, not too far away, in West Philadelphia,
2: <laughs> there we, up, raised.
4: we meet Ingrid Jacobson. Ingrid was born on April 27th, 1947. She was actually a twin. She had a sister, Phyllis. Now, Ingrid and Phyllis grew up in a traditional Jewish household, because there were pockets of Jewish neighborhoods throughout that part of Philadelphia. Her mother, Shirley, was a piano player and actually taught Ingrid to play as well. Ingrid's father, Sidney, had his own psychiatric practice, and he often worked with the University of Pennsylvania. Ingrid, even to this day, calls herself a tomboy. While her sister Phyllis enjoyed more of the things that would be associated, you know, typically for young girls, Ingrid was actually into sports, music, arts. She became a gymnast at a young age, and she would actually become a cheerleader by the time she got to high school. Phyllis was much more introverted, and Ingrid, again, was more outgoing, and she would actually go out and sing with her mother Shirley. However, her home life was not exactly the best. Her mother, Shirley, among her numerous, had numerous virtues, but she also suffered from alcohol and substance abuse. As a result, Shirley and Sydney were divorced when the girls were only five. Mm. So she really didn't get a lot of time with her father at this point. By the time she was eight, Shirley actually won full custody of both girls, and that pulled Ingrid even further away from her father. Now, Sydney would eventually remarry, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Ingrid actually went to work very early. At age eight, she started working in her grandmother's dress shop. She actually sang with Shirley on local television stations by the time she was 10. And at the age of 15, Ingrid was working alongside her father as an art therapist. Yeah, so she had a lot going on. Uh, Yeah, both families were fairly comfortable. You know, they lived fairly well, not high on the hog, but well enough. Ingrid had a more supportive household when it came to artistic interests, where Jim, well, he was in a conflicted state, because Jim had a role to play in a, you know, traditional Italian household. Jumping back to Jim, you're going to notice that his parents are going to do things over the years that are fairly inconsistent. This is one of them. So he grows up around music. He decides he wants to play. Now, the interesting thing is it's known that Jim Sr. wanted to make it very clear that they were not sort of the stereotypical italian Im- immigrants so what instrument did they give jim to play at age five the accordion yeah Okay.
2: all right right there yeah no
4: you missed the mark no. jim come on no i mean just make I him mean, an at organ least it right wasn't,
2: at least it yeah. wasn't a calliope or a bagpipe <laughs> mm-hmm. no offense to calliope players or bagpipe players i'm just saying we lived across the way from a bagpipe player and um When you're practicing the bagpipe, it's not that great. Once you've mastered it, it's angelic.
4: My sister actually went to college with a gentleman who would disrobe and play the bagpipes. Oh, dear. So there's that. Oh, wow. Like in front of her? No, like in general, he would parade around nude playing the bagpipes.
3: Oh,
2: okay. Isn't there a college that also gives scholarships to people who play bagpipes?
3: I should hope so. Yeah. But boy, there are so many jokes to be made about naked bagpipers. And I'm just just—I'm yeah. just going to let them sit. I'm, I'm not going
4: there. Yes. The low hanging fruit. Like,
3: slap nuts was last week. We're, we're back yeah. to serious programming
4: this week. Yeah, exactly. Back, back to us doing a serious broadcast. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I know, right?
2: OK. Well, uh,
4: yeah. So anyway, Jim took up the accordion by age five. He took lessons every Saturday. And he actually learned to sing and perform Lady of Spain. Huh. So he was a natural musician, actually taught himself how to play guitar and it was clear to everyone that Jim was a performer. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen videos of Jim. I've watched a few of them, a lot of them, to prepare for this. He does have a natural stage presence. And as we get into his style of performance, you'll see that. He was a great singer. He could take to instruments quickly, and he really belonged in front of a crowd. Now, I'm gonna share with you something from what they call the Lost Recordings. This was actually compiled after Jim's death. This is a song that was written and performed by Jim and his brother, Richard. So the first song I'm going to play with you is a small ditty that later appears on the Lost Recordings. Here is Sun Come Up. I believe we are back
2: i'm i'm gonna go ahead and say that that was not the greatest well again <laughs> it was mean, early you know i mean i understand he was like 12 when he <laughs> did but i i think honestly what it is is that is not the greatest quality yeah and so i think we're losing a lot and it was literally like a the the accordion and a tambourine
4: very primitive yeah so
2: I know that's the thing I was talking about when the song was playing. Like I know it comes later, Mm -hmm. so I know this is just the beginning. Right. But uh, if that was like my first introduction to Jim Croce, I might have been a little bit skeptical.
4: Yeah, no, I can understand. Again, it inauspicious start, you know. Got to start somewhere, but. uh... Yeah, look
2: at us. We're 200 episodes into a podcast. <laughs> look how far
4: we've gone. We've almost got
2: our <laughs> Hang on. Uh, living in Los Angeles. Pa, for
4: a helicopter. So that's the, one of the earliest recordings. It was actually later released on his Facets album, which is an album almost nobody knows. I bet you didn't hear of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and there's a good reason why, which when we get to that album, we'll, we'll find out. So on the surface of it, it seems like the Croce household is very warm, very inviting, fun. There is going to be a dark side. Uh, Hey, Will,
2: I hate to interrupt you, but we do need to take a short sponsor break and we will be right back.
4: And we are back. Cool. Let's get back to the life of Jim Croce. Please tell me they're not circling. They're circling. Oh, God. So guys,
2: we're going to push through this, but currently right now, because we live in Los Angeles and people are idiots, occasionally we have a helicopter that will have to circle... Our apartment complex or something like near us because we're close to a freeway and stuff like that so we're gonna push ahead but occasionally you guys might hear helicopters and we apologize for that but we've uh we're gonna move on yeah and and hope that they catch the guy i'm just gonna assume that it's that's what that is god that's so annoying hmm.
3: which y'all got a, you got a chopper
4: outside your window yeah it's
3: like can
2: you hear it Uh uh-uh. okay then let's just okay we're on. gonna
3: go
4: ahead okay so When we talked earlier about Jim's household, there were very clear expectations for Jim and what he was supposed to do. Jim Croce Sr. was, he ran kind of a tight ship, despite all the fun and the food and everything else. Jim Croce Jr. was the eldest son of an eldest son. So, he was expected to get a job, take care of his family, and get married to an italian catholic girl and to go on
2: that quest to find the sparkling diamond which would save his village
4: right exactly it's like that (laughs) level of that, that that's what he did so despite the amount of music in the house jim you know was expected to basically follow that path and uphold the family name and while they allowed him to play music they would say things to him this is a direct quote from jim's father music is for gypsies <laughs> and that a, a life of music was sinful and full of drunks and lowlights so i mean, I mean, he's, I mean not, he's not he's not completely wrong. he's
2: not wrong look at my two co-hosts
4: he's, yeah
3: i know he's, right he's not he's not completely wrong yeah, exactly. and music so, is music is for gypsies the ones yeah. that will sell you to if you keep playing the guitar if you keep doing that yeah
4: <laughs> so um and, and actually this you know steers Clear of the stereotype that Jim Senior wanted to avoid. In fact, they actually—and I haven't found this proven—but I did find some articles about it. Allegedly, Jim Senior's name was Giuseppe, and he changed it to Jim to be oh, wow. more recognized. Yeah, which is actually not uncommon for immigrants oh. at that time. Um, so Jim Junior was a very inquisitive child. He was insightful, and he had a few character flaws. Like his father, Jim hated confrontation. He would walk five blocks around the problem, and this would actually lead to kind of awkward stalemates with his dad, where Jim Sr. would actually look him in the face and say, you know, boy, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. he'd actually slap him, and he'd call him a bum, and then both men would kind of back down, and then Jim would go do what he was going to do anyway. (laughs) So it was kind of an awkward household. Uh, While Jim didn't like participating in confrontations, he loved observing them. And throughout his life, Jim would be constantly fascinated with different worldviews, and he would actually later have functions where he would intentionally invite people that were in opposition to basically watch the show and see what happened. So basically, he was the Logan Paul of... <laughs> That's a very crass way to put it, but yes. The
2: 60s, I guess? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: in the words of his wife, Ingrid, she said, Jim's idea of a good time would be to invite over a priest and a member of the KKK. <laughs> so... Another Jim character flaw that Jim had was that he didn't process or express emotion very well. Now, this may have largely been due to the way he was brought up. Again, traditional household, you know, a man doesn't show emotion, do your job, marry a good Catholic girl, just shut up. And oftentimes when things would get heated or a situation would come up that he was awkward, he would just kind of shut down. And oftentimes he would just kind of go along with it being like, okay, whatever, you know, whatever, let's just just do what we need to do. And he often wouldn't ask the right questions which is gonna come back to bite him. And the only way he could really express his thoughts and feelings were through the music that he played, which is obviously going to be a prevalent throughout his entire career. His path through high school was largely uneventful. He did play music. He actually attended Upper Darby High School near Philadelphia and then went to a prep school for one year, the famous Malvern Prep located in Malvern, Pennsylvania. And from that point, Jim had the unique honor of becoming the first and only member of his family at that time to go to college. Yay. He was accepted oh, good. To, to Villanova, Wildcats. All right, Nova. So this was thrilling. Good school. Jim's going to go to college. What's he going to study? German and psychology. Eh? Needless yeah, to say.
3: That, that sounds like a career path waiting to happen.
4: <laughs> yeah. Jim Sr. viewed this as, quote, useless, end quote. And the only way he would allow his son to continue to go to school was if he got a, quote, respectable job. Now, this was an inconvenience for Jim. However, what Ingrid's going to go through is far worse. At the age of 15, Ingrid will lose her mother to breast cancer. Mm -hmm. At that point, remember, her parents are split. So she and her sister Phyllis actually move in with her father, Sidney. Again, parents had been split. And he lived in South Derby where he operated a psychiatric practice out of his home. The girls were then forced to bounce around to different schools, which meant Ingrid was constantly moving around. She really had to abandon athletics entirely. Again, she was on the path to becoming a cheerleader and that got shelved. Finally, she graduated from Nether Providence High School, which is in Wallingford, Pennsylvania. Now, while all this was going on, Ingrid did continue to play music. She sang in several local groups and she continued to play the piano and she also taught herself guitar. Now, jumping back to Jim, he was forced to live a double life because his parents did not pursue, did not endorse him pursuing music professionally, but he would meet friends at school that would be with him for his entire life. Jim actually got more into music at Villanova, despite his father telling him it was for Gypsies. He actually auditioned for several talent shows. He became one of the Villanova singers and a founding member of the group known as the Coventry Lads which is actually an all-male acapella group still going at Villanova today. Oh, wow. So is that a fun fact? Fun fact. Fun fact. I think that qualifies as a fun fact. Fun fact. Uh, the other name for the group was the Villanova Spires. And actually, they performed later at a, they did an event when Ingrid released her book. It was an afternoon with Ingrid Croce and the Spires performed. I thought that was kind of cool. And he would also play at local fraternity parties, coffee houses, really anywhere where he could bring his guitar and just have a good time. During this time, he would meet several friends, again, long-time friends. These would be Joe Salviola, who they called Sal, Tommy Picardo, and Timothy Hauser. He actually spent time in college and as he went through his entire college career with a certain musician at Villanova. This young man would go to Jim's dorm room, they would record tracks, listen to music, and this young man was actually having trouble adapting a poem he wrote to a song. He wrote a poem about Vincent van Gogh. That artist, LD, yep, as you may have guessed it, was oh, Don wow. McLean, the Don McLean, yep, who would eventually drop out of Villanova. But <laughs> he did go
3: there. And made nothing of his life. So, kids, you gotta finish school.
2: <laughs> yep. I, I actually love that song. Vincent? Vincent. Yeah. Uh, it is, I put that above American Pie any day. It's any day.
3: It's just oh, wow. Long.
2: Yeah, do you know this one? This song?
3: one is what, Starry, Starry, starry Night? night. Yep. Mm-hmm.
4: yep. blue and gray. That one is so pretty. Yep. Well, Jim Croce was apparently there when it was being hashed out. Well, good. It's kind of cool. Now, Jim had a lot of friends that were largely accepted, except for Bill Reed. Bill is a character. He played music with Jim, along with two other gentlemen named Carl Farenbach and, of course, Sal. Now, the interesting thing about Bill was he was about 28, and he hung out with college kids. So there's that. He was loud. He was crass. He swore all the time. But the biggest problem the Croce family had with this guy was the fact that he was Irish. Oh, yeah, I know. Dirty Irishman, if you guys don't know, I'm Irish. Well, this guy was six foot two <laughs> and apparently no stranger to bar fights, but he was an essential connection to get Jim that respectable job. Bill played the guitar and the banjo and would often play with Jim. Bill was also a card-carrying construction union member and a foreman. So the deal the two worked out was Jim would teach Bill guitar and Bill would bring him on as a truck driver. So he would drive, you know, the dump trucks and the construction trucks around the site, which is very interesting if you know where Jim's music catalog kind of goes. This is where Jim started becoming what most would consider to be the balladeer of the working man. The songs he listened to at that time were by artists like Jimmy Rogers, Lefty Frizzell, and of course, T.J., a favorite of yours, the great Merle Haggard.
3: So so he's heavily in the country Absolutely. at this point. Absolutely. I mean, Lefty and Merle and... Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, can I can I give an off-kilter, off-topic fun fact? Off-topic fun fact! Off-topic off fun fact! So... Uh, you, you guys know that I love the paranormal. I'm a paranormal investigator, and so we actually went up to a place called Preston Castle, and apparently one of the most famous inmates was Merle Haggard.
3: Oh yeah, so you about that. that
2: was that was kind of cool because we we got to see pictures of young Merle because he mm-hmm. I think he went in for Grand Theft Auto.
3: Merle and, Merle got yeah he did. Merle got arrested while he was doing time in San Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. Well,
2: the the thing for- is uh, he. Okay, so the San Quentin is really close to Preston Castle, and at the time before Preston Castle was built, San Quentin is where everybody went, whether you were eight or 80, didn't matter. And so they actually built Preston Castle for that specific
3: purpose. Yeah, he got up, he was arrested for making beer. Oh, come while on, he was oh, in San Quentin. Really? And he didn't, um, he didn't actually turn 21 in prison doing life without parole. He was doing like 5 to 10. I think. <laughs> and but, he, clean, the, okay, he actually but I say, that's very, that is very interesting. That's an interesting influence because yeah. Merle is is often called like the poet of the working man.
4: Absolutely, yeah.
3: So it's so that so it, it's it's interesting because I wouldn't have necessarily thought that, you know, that Jim was 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 so influenced that was was a big listener of country music but apparently really influenced by Merle because he goes down almost exactly the same path as what Merle does.
4: Absolutely. And the other thing that Jim picked up was just stories from these people he worked with. He would constantly listen to them and hear stories about how they were on the road and got into fights. And and again, knowing Jim's catalog, all of this tracks, you know? Right. Uh, So it's really fascinating. So that was the quote respectable job that Bill, the filthy Irishman, was able to land him. Um, (laughs) The other way he...
2: You married yeah. an Irish woman. Yeah, well, I've Irish.
4: I'm you know, half my family's Irish. The other half is Italian. It gets real interesting, um, <laughs> the other way. Jim paid his way through college was by being a DJ. He was at Villanova's WWVU. He actually was the host of a blues and folk hour where he would play a lot of the songs he grew up with and even bring in his guitar on occasion. Where uh, his friend Tommy Picardo would actually work alongside Jim at the station, and that actually led to a very unique opportunity in the winter of 1963, which, of course, yes, was a mere month after
2: Kennedy's assassination. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Ask me anything about disasters, I
4: can tell you. exactly. Villanova University was selected to host a hootenanny Oh. at the Philadelphia Convention Hall on January 25th, I don't
2: think we 1964. Put that into our, I don't think we put that into our repertoire.
4: But what I realized- We is have. No we, no, we have
3: hootenannies. Oh, have we? And yeah, hayrides.
4: Fandango.
3: All kind of fandangos, everything. We've, we've touched all those places. Now,
4: okay, good. Now, I didn't know that being a hootenanny is actually specific. It should not be confused with a hoedown. And I learned the difference researching this episode. A hootenanny is an informal community social event revolving around folk music. So there you go.
3: Okay. Uh, the
4: Hootenanny was scheduled for January 25th, 1964. And the main, shall we say, guests of honor would be Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger. So okay. big names there. Um, Pete Seeger would Very, actually perform there. But and I many- was going to
3: say, these, these are huge, huge folk guys. And um, I, in Pete's case, mm-hmm. in, in particular, mm-hmm. a, a voice of protest and dissent against the vietnam war absolutely which we're not too we're not well i guess we're we're, we're getting right up on by this time aren't we we're, we're knocking on the door it. oh yeah yeah
4: so needless to say jim tommy and the other members of the coventry lads were actually picked to not only perform at the hootenanny but to find other talent because there was sort of a talent competition and those auditions were actually scheduled to be held after jim's show at a local radio station W.D.A.S which is today Philly's 105.3. So the station is still- We play anything. Well, actually they play R&B and throwbacks as they put it, but close Uh enough. Now, as we mentioned, Ingrid and her family were now in the South Derby area and Ingrid was working with some local singing groups, one of which was called the Rum Runners. And this group was made entirely of male cadets plus Ingrid. So five guys, one girl. And the reason they did that is they said they wanted a strong female singer to sort of give dimension to their sound. So at the age of 16, Ingrid became a member of the Run Murders. Now, I think
2: I saw that video.
4: <laughs> oh, boy. Well now, We
2: put the warning on. We did.
4: Yeah. So we're, clear. Hey, I
2: mean, we're in the clear.
4: Now, the interesting thing is Ingrid actually found out about the Hootenanny and she convinced her group to audition because she wanted to meet Pete Seeger. So that was the whole <laughs> motivation behind it. And so we take to a snowy night in December. Jim is actually wrapping up his show at WWVU with Tommy Picardo. They get into Jim's 1961 VW Bug, which was nicknamed the Raisin for its green color. We're going to get back to the Raisin because by the time it gets retired, which is almost 10 years from now, it was noted that the car had over 300,000 miles on the odometer. Holy cow. Yep. Hey, okay,
3: quick timeout. What's the most yeah. miles you, you, you have ever retired a car with?
4: I made it to 200,000 once.
2: I don't pay attention to that, mainly because in my youth, uh, the first car I ever had, uh, I totaled. Yeah. The second car I ever had was the punishment car. <laughs> That's what I like to mm-hmm. call it. Because it was uh-huh. 1984 or 85, I think, Chrysler minivan with oh, wooden panels on it, which was like, it had been through like eight to 10 other owners. So it wasn't all mine. And then um, then someone stole my third car and totaled it. And mm-hmm. then I moved to New York where you don't need a car. Correct. Then I came out here and got a Nissan Versa.
4: And then you got, well, you had... The truck. Oh, the truck! That thing was awesome. The Nissan the truck. truck.
2: I wonder how many miles that had on it because that, that had that 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 truck had seen some some oh, stuff.
3: Yeah. My had... um my last car um checked out at five hundred and twelve thousand
4: half a million. Holy
3: cow! And the car before that, I think I got almost to seven hundred thousand. Jeez. Now I didn't put all of those miles on it, but I put a lot of them. I mean, I sure, drive, yeah. I, you, you I, contributed. I drive a lot, but yeah, no, drive, I, my like, last one, yeah, the last car I, I yeah, it checked out at five twelve, and the one before that, I think I got to seven hundred thousand.
2: How many miles is it from your home to your work?
3: It's like about forty. Forty,
2: 40 yeah, miles? Okay. So it's about forty.
3: car a day. It's, <laughs> it's eighty. It's eighty. Round trip if I don't drive to do anything else.
4: <laughs> yeah, go to the store or go,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so in a five day work week, 400 miles just driving back and forth to work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I,
2: our car now is a 2014 and there's 63? 63 yeah, 63 yes, 63,000 mm-hmm. on it. So, I mean, like, it's nowhere near anything, but like, I wonder how many that truck had and I wonder how many my minivan had. Because, like, I haven't had that many cars in my life, but uh, extenuating circumstances removed them from my <laughs> possession. Right. Because so right. the truck, let me just tell you about the truck real quick. Sorry to go off on a tangent, but mm-hmm. the truck was incredible, and I feel like it needs a shout-out. I bought the truck for a dollar, <laughs> a single solitary dollar. It was a 1994 King cab.
4: This thing was awesome. The
2: thing could not be killed. I ran it into a brick wall backing out of my parking space because people don't understand how parking works in this town. Uh, I completely, so I parked the car on the street one night and it completely totaled another car. (laughs) (laughs) Like someone was driving drunk. They hit my car and they just left half their car in front of my truck. And there was literally like- yeah. a single dent in this truck
4: awesome. it was
2: made out of like i think the souls of the damned and six other trucks were put <laughs> together to make this beast but
3: boy that sounds like yeah that sounds like my first car which i've always called it. it was it was 12 12 tons of the finest steel to ever roll out of detroit michigan <laughs> yeah
2: a yes. 1970
3: it's a 1979 chevrolet impala that was used to deliver fish Wow, <laughs> and it!
4: <laughs>
3: oh my lord!
2: We didn't have Febreze back then. You just left the You're windows with
3: Yeah, I was just saying, Yeah, there, yeah, there was no, There was Lysol, and I don't mean there was Mountain Mist scented Lysol, and it, well, it didn't. It, it didn't smell like <laughs> daffodils. It smelled like Lysol, right? Like, and that old and the big fat ass gold can. Yeah, and even that, but even that wouldn't kill the, the stench. Maybe the next time we do a slap in this episode, we'll talk about our first cars.
2: Yep. Yep. Let's uh let's let's get back to Jim. I, I just I right. felt like I needed to take that sidetrack because <laughs> dang, that truck was awesome.
4: It was. So we're back to Jim and his Raisin 1961 VW bug. And at the same time, Ingrid and her cadets are piling into their car and they're both going to WDAS. And I think this is what you would call a meat cute, LD. Let's Aww, see. Oh
2: I love meat cutes
4: So on the way into the parking lot. Ingrid and the Rum Runners actually hit a snowdrift, So they're stuck. And who gets out to push? Ingrid. <laughs> As this is happening, Jim's car starts pulling into the lot. And he slows down to see a young girl pushing this car while all five guys in the car are just cheering. Uh... And so he kind of slows down. He's getting ready to get out because he thinks, you know, okay, do you need some help? At which point the vehicle becomes free. Everyone applauds. So Jim just looks over at the young girl and he waves at her. Now Ingrid goes to wave back. However, she realizes upon doing this that she's dressed in an oversized winter coat and she's wearing Howdy Doody and Clarabelle mittens, which were the only ones she had. (laughs) So she was suddenly mortified because she's going to think, oh my God, I'm 16. How young is he going to be? And she just kind of smiles and puts everything away. And then the car rolls back and And back into the (laughs) snowdrift. so she's a little embarrassed but then she's even more embarrassed when she goes in to compete and realize that the guy that she then thought was quote cute is one of the judges
2: that's adorable
4: so jim is up at the judging table with some of the members of the coventry lads the rum runners are actually the last ones to audition and they kill it they just kill it ingrid's up there she's playing her guitar one thing that she noted though was her guitar was out of tune more on that later But needless to say, Jim makes a point to approach her personally, shake her hand, but he trips over a cord while doing so. And with that, Jim actually says, you guys are the winners, we'll see you on the 25th of January. So we flash forward to January 25th, 1964. Jim is on site for judging, and of course the Rum Runners are there, and Ingrid made a point to not wear her Howdy doo mittens to this one. She actually borrowed a dress from a friend, she bought some boots, and she wanted to look a lot older than she was, because she's still she's about 17 at this point she's okay. still really young how old is he he's 18 19 oh so like reasonable yeah it's not like creepy yeah yeah. And, and more on that later in their relationship because i will just throw this out now for people who might be growing concerned they wait to be intimate so just keep that in
2: mind oh well thank yeah. god because yeah. that's what i was worried about with a 16 <laughs>
3: right, I, I was gonna stay up i was gonna yeah. stay up nights wondering about so, so, now you now you don't have to worry about any of that. So, whether, they, whether or not they save themselves for marriage,
4: right? So, Ingrid actually wears this white and black sort of accented dress, and Jim was known for having kind of an edgy sense of humor that would sort of walk the line between offensive but charming. So, Ingrid actually sees him in the crowd, and he goes over, and first thing he asks is, "Can I tune your guitar?" And he looks at her dress and goes, "You look cute, just like a little skunk." Ah. At which point she's absolutely mortified. She gets all offended. Jim takes the guitar anyway and tunes it. Um, they take the stage with the, the Rum Runners and needless to say, they kill it again. They play Midnight Special, actually. Ooh. The girl who invented rock and roll and Ingrid actually breaks out into an impromptu solo. There, I couldn't find a recording of this. I tried, guys. I really did. If anyone has any recordings of this, please share them with us. I'd love to hear it. But as soon as it's done, Jim actually goes through the crowd Before it's officially announced that the Rum Runners are the winners. So Jim goes to Ingrid and says, You sounded great. Can we sing together sometime? And they exchange numbers. And at this point, it's all kind of hormones and all that stuff. And she's absolutely won over by Jim because he's a charismatic guy. He's older. And she's, you know, and this stage, the questions start coming out. And this is not the first time there'll be friction surrounding the relationship between the two. The instant Ingrid gets home, The question is, what kind of name is Croce? Is he Jewish? Yeah. And on the other side, you have Jim's family going, who is this girl? Is she Italian? So you can see where there might be a little uh, stormy, stormy skies up ahead.
2: I mean, isn't that what makes up your family? Pretty
4: much, yeah. I mean...
2: I love I love your family. Meal times are fantastic. Oh yeah, but they're insane. Also, yeah, I love it. Plus, you throw in Anastasia, who's Greek. Yeah, so you we got like, that. Love it. So we nanny. got the we got the Irish, we got the
4: nanny, Italian. Yep. Yeah.
2: We got the nanny. We got the nanny. Uh, we got the the Jewish, the Irish, the Italian, Greek. the Greek. Meals are phenomenal.
4: Yeah, you can't get a bad meal with that combination. Yes. And uh, oh, yeah. have you have you, uh, have you an have you an icelandic uncle or um, only then i I just have yahtzee at that point um (laughs) yes so ingrid did make the fatal mistake of after not hearing from jim she called him and jim's mother picked up the phone heard about three words and hung right up
2: i am clutching my (gasps)
4: pearls i know right but gasp i know yeah yeah for real (laughs) Needless to say, Jim finally phones her back and they set up a date to play some music where Jim arrives wearing a three-piece suit. He claimed that he was at his cousin Patsy's wedding. Not true. Didn't happen. They start playing some folk songs. Jim actually is teaching Ingrid songs by Bob Dylan, Woody Guthrie. In fact, Pastures of Plenty by Woody is a very popular song that they would play. He even did a a rendition of Cotton Eye Joe.
2: Yeah. Which if you
4: remember was actually a... It was a hymn, I think, but it was popularized by the Redman. Oh,
3: yep. Yeah. Oh no, no, it's. Oh no, it's not a hymn.
4: Okay, oh, it's not a hymn.
3: But. Oh um, no! Yeah, li- really listen to what's happening in that song. Somebody's got the clap. It's 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 a little kind of it's a little stuff going crazy. on. I'm
2: <laughs> not Joe. I'd be married a long time ago. Where, Where did, did you come, come from? Right you know right
3: why? Because he gave. Because he he made that girl be dirty in the
4: lap. Huh? Uh, How about that?
2: <laughs> I. Please don't ever call it that again. <laughs> oh,
4: that was funny. I, I approve. <laughs> and some of these or, early recording sessions were actually captured on Sydney's reel-to-reel sack recorder. So this is something that would actually continue throughout Jim's life. Jim loved to record everything. So I'm going to treat you to another lost recording here. This one comes from the recordings allegedly at the kitchen table where Jim did a number of his songs. And I think this is a cover, TJ, let me know. This is a country tune called, You Oughta See Pickles Now.
5: Now when I was a little boy, there lived next door to me A little girl named Pickles, just as mean as she could be Now she ate pickles all day long, she didn't care what kind Got so mad when I asked her if she grew on the pickle vine. But gee, oh golly, you ought to see pickles now.
6: When she walked
5: by, sit and cry, all I can say is, wow. But here late I got an awful urge to hang around. Gee, oh golly, you ought to see pickles now. Now she'd stick out her tongue at me and call me awful names. And the way I hated Pickles, Lord, it was an awful shame One night I got so doggone mad I tore her playhouse down And she told on me I got it bad In the place where I sit down But gee, oh golly, you ought to see Pickles now When she walked by didn't cry all I can say is wow but here late i got an awful urge to hang around gee oh golly you want to see Pickles now
6: well that's
5: the way my life has been it's a crying shame Pickles is a big girl now you can bet I'm not the same last night out on her front porch she gave me a little kiss all i had to say right then is boy do like this but gee oh golly you ought to see pickles now when she walks by sit and cry all i can say is wow oh here later got an awful urge to hang around gee oh golly you ought to see pickles now
4: Oh. Right. That's you are yeah. pickle now. I like that.
3: Um that um he sounded um he sounded a little twiny.
4: Yeah. yeah. And and as I said, off air, you know, there are occasions, many of them, where Jim was mistaken for a southerner and he was Interesting. not. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 I really like I actually really like that song. Just I like that tonality of everything about that, like the 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 way it feels so old. It feels bioshockish.
4: Yes, it's very dated. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
2: And I, I really love that sound.
4: And that was actually a song that uh, Jim would play with his friend, Bill Reed. So mm. two of them would play out on that one. Now, eventually, they would start singing together. And the parallels that were drawn were actually Ian and Silva and Joan Baez and Woody Guthrie when they would start playing out together. Oh, wow! They would do parties, college events. So they were expanding their repertoire. And then uh, one fateful night, Ingrid made the appearance at the Croce home. Now, they were hospitable, great food. I think one of the things that stuck out in my mind was old Massimo was in his chair. He looks up at Ingrid, he pats her hand, and he just says, oh, the girl. Aww. Very simple. Yep. So like I said, Jim and Ingrid were starting to play at this point. They pretty much got together as often as they could. They would play music. She would even join him at the radio station where they would listen to all this music together. And it wasn't long before she, like Tommy and Sal and Carl and Bill, where she was a part of Jim's life in a very short period of time. Bear in mind, this is only like a month or so. Not a lot of time has passed.
2: They moved faster back in the
4: day, didn't they? They sure did. Now, speaking of Bill, he actually landed Jim one of his first steady gigs. And that was at a place called the Riddle Paddock. It was a racetrack that was converted into, I guess what on paper you would call a restaurant? But have you ever seen Roadhouse?
2: No, I've seen the cover. Uh, yeah.
4: duh. Remember the bar in Roadhouse? Yeah, that's pretty much the paddock. <laughs> okay. Is it, is it yeah. like
2: well, Like is it like oil cans or is it more like? Sarnos, it's rougher. It it's more... like oil
4: can but rough. Basically, the bullet. Oh God. No. The music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God. Um, the just, music just, go ahead,
3: Adrian. No, I was just gonna say Will. Be yeah. Nice. Yeah, until I tell you it's time not to be nice. Until I tell you it's time not to be nice.
4: Oh, Patrick Swayze, long gone. Um, that's the best example I can give. The description of this place in the book is priceless. Basically, the musical acts were on the floor, floor-level stage in the center of the room, surrounded by chicken wire to protect them. Uh, the bar was frequently attended by military. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Mm-hmm.
2: You said it was the, the thing was covered in chicken wire? Yeah,
4: surrounding the stage.
2: Yep. Okay, so that was like Blues Brothers. Kind of, yeah.
3: Kind of. And and in Blues Brothers and also in Roadhouse. If you remember Jeff Haley, Jeff Haley was behind Chicken <laughs> Walk.
4: Yes, he was. <laughs>
3: uh,
4: <laughs> needless to say, the crowd was full of a lot of blue collar folks who were pretty much fighting all the time. It was military, farmhands, construction workers, cowboys, places people would go basically without their wives. It was it was like Roadhouse. That's the best parallel. So, to so
3: it's 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 there's fighting. And those are people who can really fight. Oh, yeah, quit, they know what they're doing. Off. Off. Let mm-hmm.
2: me let me ask you a question, T. Because I was wondering this the other day. I was like, we were having a conversation about like bar fights. Have you ever been in a fight, T? I mean,
3: it's been a that's been a forever ago. <laughs> <laughs> like like look like like when I was a kid or whatever. No, I've never been in a fight as an adult. No. Sure.
2: Okay. I've, if, have time you ever? To... Have you ever?
3: Here, two questions. Have you ever been punched in the face? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay have you ever punched anybody in the face yes yes both of those things suck yeah they're not fun. <laughs> they hurt and they suck yeah so nobody I tells tell you that doing those if i can yeah if you punch um, someone you're getting hurt so i was
2: i was actually funny enough punched in the face by a girl but i completely decked a guy in a bar for touching my butt one time and the thing is people saw me punch him and then they went after him
3: well, good, he was being a douche. <laughs> so Yeah, because good, like, he was being a douche weasel. They
2: they like dog piled <laughs> on this guy and I'm like, don't mess with me.
3: <laughs> now I've had a few little, you know, words exchanged and there was one time I I, I did elbow somebody in the face once, but in my <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In my defense, they completely had it coming.
4: As <laughs> would hold up in court, I'm sure.
3: <laughs>
4: now look there's
3: there no video of it that I'm uh, aware of. I, it, I never got paper served or anything. So, right.
4: Now, if that doesn't give you an idea of what kind of place this was, I'm going to give you a little example here. This place was owned by Dolores and Paul, a couple. Dolores was basically running the place. Paul was the chef. Upon one of the first few nights, Jim was there with Ingrid. A mouse fell through the ceiling fan, Aww. was diced to pieces, and landed onto a salad.
0: Good.
4: Instead of <laughs> in, instead of ratatouille. Yeah. No. Instead of throwing it away.
2: Did you just say Ratatouille? Yes, he did. did.
4: Instead uh. of throwing the salad away, Paul was parading it around to all of the guests. <laughs> also, during <laughs> one of the fights, Paul was stabbed in his foot with his own chef's knife. Huh. Oh my floor. So, so that gives you an idea of what kind of place this was. This is a tough house, boy. Yes. So of course, Bill Reed was a regular here. Uh, he was drinking at the bar, but he also played his banjo and would play songs that were naughty. Um, Bill introduced Jim to the owners. They gave him an audition, basically, where he played for Dolores a couple of songs, and immediately they agreed to hire him for the rate of $25 a night, which, for those of you keeping track, in 1964, is about 220 today. Oh today. Wow. That's a, not bad yeah, at all. A free meal and an open bar hey. was That was his contract. Oh, hey, yo. No. Now... At the paddock, Jim really became the performer that we know him as. And it's interesting, in a later interview, he talked about this and said, you know, the guitar was a great instrument of self-defense. This actually had a twofold meaning. The first was physical. Jim actually realized very quickly not to wear his guitar strap because if things were flying at him, he had to get out of the way. Uh (laughs) So wearing the guitar on a strap was actually detrimental. Uh, The other was the fine art of working the crowd. Uh, this is sort of the you know the film Gladiator, win the crowd, win your freedom. So he had to sort of adapt what he was doing to whatever the crowd wanted, which meant playing songs that were quite what LD would say, bawdy. I
2: love bawdy. Songs. Oh, you're
4: gonna love this one. I love um, I
2: love bawdy songs. I love sea shanties. There's something going around TikTok where like they dance to old sea shanties, and I I just chanties or shanties shantied. shanties shanties. Mm-hmm. So. It's weird that you can also sing a sea shanty and then live in a shanty town. Yes, again. Weird. (laughs) Okay, anyway, uh, I I love a good dirty song. Oh, you're Um, gonna love this. When I was working on, was it My Kind of Country? I think it was working on My Kind of Country and a guy submitted a song to me that was called Your Butthole.
4: Yep, I remember you playing that. (laughs) And boy,
2: howdy. (laughs) It was naughty. It was boldy. It was naughty. It was funny. He didn't make it, but thank you for that, sir. If you're somewhere out in the, the, the ethos, I hear you.
4: So Jim would be in this bar that I
2: think you yeah.
3: all
4: have a pretty if good image. Out there of in the,
3: if you're out there in the ethos, she hears your butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she hears your
4: butt. So now that you all have a good image of this place, I'm sure you can picture the crowd demanding some kind of lewd entertainment. So that's where Jim really became known for his style. He was kind of a monologuer slash performer slash singer, and he would actually make up lyrics sometimes to adjust to what the crowd was doing. So they'd be yelling things out like, play the doggy song, and he'd have to know what that is and play it. Now, I am so happy to play you what I'm about to play. I found this. Now, in a very similar way to the manner in which C.S. Lewis began his book, The Screwtape Letters, I will not discuss how I came across this material. Uh, just know it's in the bowels of the internet. You can find it. But before I play this next song, I just want to throw out two things. I am willing to bet that this may be the most offensive song we've played on the show.
2: Okay, so just quickly. so you guys yep. know, please, please, if you've got little <laughs> ears, I haven't heard the song, but Will is very adamant about this. Send it away. I have not heard yeah. the song. Turn this off. Come back to it when you have somebody over the age of 16 in the car. It is not for children. I don't even know if it's for me. So just just so you guys know and are prepped, this is not the song to listen to with children in the car, Absolutely in not. the house, in the neighborhood. <laughs> like if you're pregnant, maybe don't listen to it because it'll it'll rub off. I don't know. I don't know how pregnancy works, but I assume that's how it works, right? Okay, there you go. That has
4: been your warning. You've been warned. And number two, this one's an earworm. I promise you that by the end of this song, all of us and all of our listeners are going to be clapping and singing along with the chorus. I promise you. So, without further ado, here is the late Jim Croce performing The Ball of Carrymere, or better known by its bar name, Balls to Your Partner. <laughs> Okay, so quick, quick aside here. Do we want his monologue in the beginning? Just leave it. Okay, just, just it's, it's actually it. really funny. Just
2: leave it at the beginning. Uh, do you know this
4: one, TJ? I don't think I do. You're in for a treat. Here this we go. Have
7: to do with culture. And I don't, uh, I call it a culture. So I learned it on a cultural exchange tour. I was over in uh, Nigeria and the Middle East across North Africa playing on a state department tour seeing how many diseases an American can get. Uh, I came back with a whole bunch and shipped me home in a big 50-gallon drum with an adult-sized pamper, and uh, local medicine called liquid cork, which is good for the amoebic stuff that you pick up. It's a really great, great feeling. went to a friend of mine who was a doctor when I came back and gave me all these tests and just said, Oh, wow, looking in a microscope, like a walking culture dish. But I learned this song. It was written down by Robert Burns about 250 years ago or so. It's a great song for images. And I have to wrap it in a cloak of culture or sometimes I can get in the jam with it. But you don't stand behind me, I hope. Uh, it's, it's a story about a party they had in Scotland back in the days when they pulled up the drawbridge, everybody that was cool was inside. So they didn't have to worry about the man coming, see. Plus the moat was just a big septic tank anyhow full of dead swans. They were all floating around, had to change the swans all the time. But what happened at this party is a true story. Somebody threw, see in those days the girls wore long dresses. Remember those big long billowy skirts and Ken underwear. That's the Scott saying for no underwear. See how culture gets getting already. Feels just like big English lit Mm class. Now what happens is somebody throws these rosehip seeds on the ground. Now rosehips, you know, if you're into organic food and vitamins, rosehips are a very good natural source of vitamin C, but the seeds have hair on them like little bristles. And the girls in the frivolity and briskness of the dance, frisking, kicked the seeds up under the dress and started this terrible itch. Now somebody also dumped some aphrodisiac into the punch and about a half an hour later everybody's giving each other that lean and hungry look you know that lewd and lascivious trying to get some going to think about it for a while and you're going to be the recipient of my long anticipated glee Uh, but what happened somebody put the oil lamp out and as this old scott told me and is recorded in the library of congress what happened then lad was an orgy of such great magnitude that 40 acres of corn were fucked completely flat. Just a lot of images. called The Ball of Kerry Muir. Four and twenty virgins come down from Inverness And when the ball was over, there were four and twenty less Singing A balls to your partner, your ass against the wall If you'd never been had on a Saturday night, you'd never been had at all there was doin' in the parlor, There was doin' on the stones But you couldn't hear the music For the wheezing and the groans Singing the balls to your partner Your ass against the wall If you have never been had on a Saturday night You'd never been had at all oh. <laughs> <laughs> Love, Bill The Undertaker, he was there all wrapped up in a shroud Swinging from the chandelier and peeing on the crowd Singing of all's dear, partner your ass against the wall And if you've never been out on a Saturday night, you've never been out at all It's just so full of images, isn't it? The village cripple, he was there, he could not do much So he lined the ladies against the wall and he did them with his crutch Singing the balls to your partner, your ass against the wall If you've never been had on a Saturday night, you never been had at all There's about a million verses to this and I'm just doing the fillet It's like the fillet of the ball at Carrie Muir Miss Mary McPherson was standing way up front Some posies in their hands and a carrot in. Singing a boss to your father Now you're ass against the wall And if you never went out on a Saturday night You never went out at all And these songs are passed on by oral tradition, you know, that means You can add verses to them and I'm working on a new verse right now Having to do with a cordless vibrator uh, Which I... S- read about in Pleasure Magazine, one of the new ones that holds four batteries. It's kind of like a blender. Three speed, Mm -hmm. dice, frappe. Oh, my God, how do you stop it? The village postman, he was there, but the poor man had the pox. He could not do the lassie, so he did the letterbox Singing a ball's tear, lay your ass against the wall If you've never been out on a Saturday night, you've never been out at all now, This is going to be the last verse, but it like makes an impression on you for the rest of your life Anybody that's into drawing it, if you could do an illustration of it, send it to me I'll tell you where Martin Borman's hiding in Argentina <laughs> Or Howard Hughes, all these secrets Here it comes The village magician, he was there. He gave us all a laugh. He pulled his foreskin over his head and he vanished up his ass. Singing a ball to your partner, your ass against the wall. If you never been out on a Saturday night, you never been out
5: at all. There you have it, guys. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, um, um,
4: That was Jim Croce performing The Ball of Caribbean
2: maybe what you just need to do for what i think about that song is just explain to the audience my face during the
4: song well the thing was i i honestly was going to make that the final song but i wanted to see the visceral reaction like like ridley scott and alien i wanted the real reaction uh any thoughts tj yeah it was funny yeah it's
3: great and, and and i and, and a little a uh, little on the body side a little on, but, on the uh, body side baldy yeah so but I guess it's more, much more stereoty- That's much more in the old storytelling tradition, almost right. than a song.
4: And that's his style. I mean, that's yeah. really what he was known for. So I guess two fun facts. Fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. So the first one, as uh, Jim Croce put it, is that it was a poem by the poet laureate Robert Burns, which was then adapted into a song. The second is that, believe it or not, Jim actually sang a bit of a toned-down version of that song. The chorus he sang was, if you've never been had on Saturday night, you've never been had at all. I'll let you imagine what the actual lyric is. Mm. Yeah. If you've never been mm, on Saturday night, you haven't been mm, at all. So, that's your fun Which, is, uh, which is a weird flex, because
3: he had a pretty long recitation about the uh, three-speed vibration.
4: Yes, he did. So, I found that an odd, uh, an odd edit. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, so before we close this episode out with a, again, roaring earworm, I guarantee you will all be singing the ball of Carrie Mirror for the next week, I just want to jump back to Jim's job as a truck driver on the construction site. Now, he listened to all these stories, he actually kept a notebook. And Jim actually noted a story that stuck with him that would be penned into a song many years later. This truck driver told Jim a story about a time when he was driving the truck and his partner was asleep and the brakes were failing. So they were heading downhill and speed was picking up. The brakes weren't working. The brakes weren't working. Went around a few turns. He was trying to keep everything in order. And then he got to a point where he had to do something. On one side of the road was a guy out of his car changing a tire on a VW Bug. The other side had another truck climbing the hill in the opposite direction. So, of course, Jim asked, what did you do? The response was, I woke up my partner. And Jim says, well, why'd you do that? He said, because he was young, and I knew he ain't ever seen a wreck like this before.
2: <laughs>
4: and that story was turned into one of Jim Croce's most notable songs almost a decade later, which we'll play on the outro. But first, let's do our socials and sign off, and I'll leave you with a Jim Croce song you probably know, because he probably didn't know the first three.
2: Okay. I'm going to give a full disclosure here. I have cleaned my computer off, and I don't have our socials. Oh. So give me just a second. Talk amongst yourselves. I will uh, find it somewhere. You can find
3: us on Facebook at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod.
4: Still not saying our website.
3: Still not saying our website. I think we're on uh, InstaFace or whatever the hell it is at uh, Rock and Roll Heaven Pod.
2: (laughs) Oh, here we go. Okay. Okay. If you'd like to give us money, <laughs> and, why wouldn't, and you? why wouldn't you? You can go to patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll LT. Our Instagram is rock and roll heaven LT. Our Facebook rock and roll heaven pod. Still not saying our website. That one's for you, Nick. And <laughs> uh, you can email us at rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the awesome Pantheon podcast at pantheonpodcast.com. And I will go ahead and say my good night. So from all of us here at Rock and Roll Heaven, all you guys out there, just remember the light at the end of the tunnel might be Jersey. Wait. It's, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. Uh, anyway, make sure to wash your hands, stop touching your face, get the vaccine if you can, and stay away from stupid people. I'm just going to steal Dennis's outro. I was going to say, you just, just take his, just his outro? Took, yeah, I just took Def Noodle's outro. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you guys have a great week. We will see you next time uh, with part two of Jim Croce. So, uh good night tj would you uh, like any would you like to say anything to our audience
3: fare thee well compadres
2: oh, wow that. that was that was a sm a sm a a what is it called asmr 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 words All right, so I'm going to throw it back to Will to close out the show. Thank you guys so much.
4: Cool, and thanks for joining us on part one of Jim Croce. We got four more to go because there is so much to cover and a lot of good stuff coming up. Perhaps more bawdy tunes, we'll see. I hope so. But this one is actually going to be one that you know. Uh, That story of the truck driver Jim jotted down and he actually turned into a song almost a decade later. This one came off of the last album to be released before Jim's death. So I'm going to leave you with a song you know to give you a little taste of what's to come. As we continue the life of Jim Croce Here is from Life and Times 1973
0: Speedball Tucker I drive a broke down rig On made five tires Forty foot of overload A lot of people say that I'm crazy Because I don't know how to Take it slow I got a broomstick on the throttle I gotta rope it up and it'll ride down Stop back to Dallas, pop them down the West Coast, turnaround and they call me Speedball, Speedball Tucker, they roll the highway, and all them other truckers would tell you that the boy is mad. You drive on in a rig like that. You know the rain may blow, the snow may snow, and the bikes, they may freeze. They don't buy those old speedball. go going any damn way, please. He got a broomstick on the throttle to keep his throttle foot a dancing round with a cup full of cold black coffee and a pop- Look into my rearview mirror And coming all from behind There was a Georgia State Police fund And a hundred and dollar fine Well, he looked me in the eyes He was writing me up He said, driver, you've been flying And 95 is the route you were on It was not the speed sign Yeah, and they call me speedball Speedball Tucker." They There
1: you had a boy and man You be drive on in a rig like that. It's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.